everybody. Hello there. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Okay, so today we have a returning guest. It is Tom Seawood uh, from the Quack Quack Tribe. Comes on this time not to talk about Bigfoot, but to talk about yeah. other things that his tribe have run into. Uh, so I hope you find that very interesting. We did, didn't we? It's yeah. great, it's a fantastic so, uh, show. Yeah, and Tom's you know, great to talk to. Him. Yeah, he was. Like, yeah, it's funny and that. So good dude. So um, right, paranormal news. Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Paranormal News, broadcasting to you from places unknown, bringing you the top three paranormal headlines of the week. Five, four, three, two, one. Three. A snappy wedding ceremony. Mexican mayor marries crocodile bride to bring good luck to local fishermen. Mayor of San Pedro, Humalula, Victor Aguilera, took a crocodile to be his wife in the southern region of Oxacara on Friday as part of an indigenous tradition intended to bring good fortune to local fishermen. The female crocodile was baptised on Thursday and then subsequently dressed in a white robe, she really was, yep. and had her jaws clamped shut for the big day. Because you, you don't want to nibble in your no. <laughs> nausea on the yeah. consummation. Well, I love on there, yeah. uh, tradition demands that the respective mayor of San Pedro uh, marries the new crocodile each year, as legend has it that a ceremony will bring fishermen good luck in fishing. Ooh, I'd like to be on honeymoon suite, mate. The mayor said, With this ritual we ask for good harvest for the sea and for the lagoons to give us all the food we need and we ask that everything goes well with everyone here. Two. Alien conspiracy theorists go nuts over bizarre flying saucers seen spinning above Mexican town. Stunned eyewitnesses filmed the bizarre shape which appeared to be moving slowly in the clouds over the small town of Progreso de Madero in southern Mexico. But the footage has divided online users with some viewers claiming the video is a hoax and others saying the shape is a weather-related phenomenon. One local man in the video can be heard speculating that the huge black ring is a UFO. One woman asks, what is that? And the man replies, a flying saucer. Another woman came here saying, it's a rain formation, to which a man replies, no it's not, it's a black wheel. One. The bizarre object, which eventually vanished, has caused rampant speculation online. Social media user Alejandro Lopez Robles was convinced he had seen something otherworldly commenting, it's a flying saucer. But fellow viewer uh, Xavier Bainsred believed the video showed a whirlwind. Alien craft. Motorist films bizarre green trailing UFO soaring into sky. Okay, so today's number one story was the alien craft motorist films bizarre green trailing UFO soaring into the sky. Yep. So, what does the actual... Well, it says, the footage uploaded uh, to YouTube uh, of the UFO filmed just outside Dos Palos of Interstate 5 in California has been viewed more than 10,000 times. 
The video shows a motorist pulling over next to a small road before filming a distant white object. However, when the camera is later zoomed in, it appears to have a green tinged trail coming from it. It has been suggested by alien conspiracy theorist YouTube channel Third Phase of the Moon. The object is hurtling into Earth's outer atmosphere before the clip comes to an end. Mm. And now, you know, on first viewing, it's clear that this object, for me, to me anyway, watching this mm. video clip, it's clear that this object is moving in an upward direction yeah. rather than falling to Earth. Because normally, um, and obviously go and check the video out, we'll be on the paranormal hangout. But um, normally when things fall to Earth, they do burn up and they are bright. Yeah, you know, and also and you've you got know, to say also the sun as well. Yeah, it will make I've, that object tinge different colours, um, like a rainbow, isn't it? Have you seen like you know, what we call shooting stars? Yeah, which is oh, yeah stars. Have you seen green? I've seen green ones. I've seen you know yeah, I've seen yellow, quite a few. Yeah. I've seen quite a few green ones. So yeah, which this, never come so true this light, but, you know is is green. So it looks like it could be that. But when we zoomed in, didn't we? Yeah, we, when we, we looked at the video, we zoomed in, and it's it's a weather balloon. Yeah, well, yeah. I would say weather balloon. Yeah. I mean, it has the characteristics of a weather balloon. There's actually, in this article in the Express, there's actually a little comparison between a weather balloon and the footage. Yeah, we've got it here. And it, it, is, it. It, it's just about right, really. Well, I mean, the top's kind of... Yeah, it's a bit darker than you'd expect. A bit expect, darker than the top. But obviously, if it's if it's going up, it's... But, it, but it's these stupid comments on um, YouTube, you know. Well, and this one says weather balloon... You're kidding! It's obvious. It's obvious that it's something out of this world. Well, it's, well, it's, not. it's not. It's not, is it? It's not yeah. obvious. And then, no. uh, and then, it's the one says, "Wow, I'm speechless." Well, I'm not really. A third one saying, "This is so clearly fake." And again, you know, you can't just say it's fake because it's really filming something. You, no, what you, can, what you, can, you can't say is what you can't say is this is definitely a UFO. Yeah. Um, I mean, the guy was definitely recording some. Yeah, his well, video by, was some. By UFO, I mean alien spacecraft. Obviously, yeah. you know, because obviously it is a UFO. If you don't know what it means, yeah, you know what I mean. Um, so don't take the piss. But for, but I would say, um, looking at the footage and then you know looking at the second clip as well. I mean, we'll put this on power normal. Hangout yeah, anyway. yeah. We'll put them on there. I would let, say the, let the you know our members have. It a is most likely a weather balloon. Yeah, that yeah. Wishful thinking. Absolutely. And then, obviously, you know, go and check out the crop- crocodile clip because uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, mm. that's something else. That yeah, can you imagine marrying a fucking crocodile for fuck's sake, man? Uh, you know, what happens on a wedding night then? I know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, does it count as divorce if he if they eat it after? Well, they've got to, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they can't. Well, they can't live with it I'll forever. I'm back out of it. I don't know, bloody no, like, yeah. you know. So, what's the mayor in that town then? Is he got to stay like he's got to be like a monk and stay celibate and single? Until he marries his I crocodile. I think he's a bit non-compassmentous, mate. Yeah. Something wrong with the guy. Well, well, well it's again. a tradition, isn't it? So, got to, they've got to ah, do it. Well, silly, if they don't, silly, if they don't it? do it, they won't catch any fish. Aye. Right, so, before we get on with the interview, I just wanted to mention a thank you for the people who have left reviews yeah, on absolutely iTunes Absolutely fantastic. This week. Much appreciated. Um, and they were? Uh, Barbara Suffolk. Yep, and Barbara, thank you very much for... Um, changing your review because originally Barbara, for those who don't know, Barbara left her a three star review because of the, the the poor quality, um, which again we know we we couldn't argue with the the, the quality. Yeah. sound quality was shit at the yeah, beginning. But we've kind of you yeah, know, as made go, it better as we go along. We've been improving it, and obviously our mics are still on the way from China, yeah. and they, you know they're going to be here hopefully early September. Hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood. So um, obviously, then hopefully it'll improve again. But thank yep. you very much, Barbara. Thank she, you, Barbara. You know, thank she's, you. She's gone and changed their star, um, review from three to five stars. So Fantastic. thank you very yeah. much. Um, who else? We got? We've got uh, Jules GTV. 
Yep, and again, that was a really, really great review. Yeah, absolutely. Five stars. Really, yeah, really good, really good. Uh, and by Kirk Knowles as well. And again, you know... Yeah, thanks, Kirk. Thank yeah, you. Kirk's, uh, you know, another fantastic review there. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we go on to Patreon. We've had a few Patreon. Um, oh, incidentally, if you haven't already seen it, we did do a video for Patreon appeal, didn't we? Uh, yeah, it will yeah, be yeah, on our yeah, Patreon yeah. page. Uh, if you want to go over there and look at it, it'll be on the website. And it's on the Paranormal Hangout if you want to go and check it out. Please check the video out. It's on our yeah, YouTube channel as well. It's good. Um, yeah, go and check the video out. See what you think. Please yeah. leave comments and, and share it as you go. But Patreon this week, we had a few people sign up. Um, and again, you know, all this Patreon support helps us get more guests yep. obviously you know helps do with the equipment and stuff and eventually we want to we want to meet up with some people you know go to places where people listen to us and and, and all that kind of shit so well, it's gonna help we with all the, that well you know we had maria didn't we, um, we see maria and yeah fantastic. but you know like i mean big places where people can come and we can put some money behind a bar and all that shit well that'd be nice yeah. one day yeah. hopefully so yeah. so patreon support this week then big thank you yeah, to sam up. sam low um amber luna and Kale Gibson, uh, thank you very much for your support on Patreon, and everybody else that signed up for Patreon this week. You know who you are, right? Yeah. Without further ado, then let's get on with Tom. Yeah, the dude. Yeah, man, I think you're going to enjoy this. Yeah, so, you will. Uh, you, will. Please, you know, again, if you do enjoy this, join his Sasquatch Island pa- Facebook page. Let him know you heard him on the show, and let him know you enjoyed it, and ask him questions because he's open to questions. Yeah. You know, which yeah. is a great thing about Tom. So, uh, obviously, join our. Our Facebook page and, and, yeah. you know, and then tell us that yeah, you come and join you, us. Yeah, you enjoyed it. Have your say. Remember, don't search, don't break the oath because that's debunked now. Uh, sorry, don't search, don't break the oath because that's defunct now, isn't it? That, yeah. that page. It's, yeah. it's just the paranormal hangout to catch us. Um, so, yeah. Right, Tom then. So, we'll start there then. I mean, obviously, um, you know, your tribe's got um, ghost stories um, and, these, and then other creatures other than Bigfoot. So, I mean, do you see them all as being real characters, you know, that live in the woods, or do you do you, do you see some of them as being, uh, or, or in the sea, do you see some of them as being real and some of them being more mythical? I think you're probably looking at, you know, half are mythical, half of, you know, because they didn't know sciences back in the day, so they had to come up with explanations for things that they encountered or witnessed. You know, case in point is quick, quick one all out of Thunderbird. You know, it's just in the last few hundred years that we've really began be, began to understand what thunder and lightning was. And even nowadays, you know, things like ball lightning and a few things like that, people still, you know, the scientists are still having, you know, a heck of a time trying to figure out exactly what it is. But Thunderbird, for example, um, there's stories that my grandfather told me about how the Thunderbird would travel through the heavens, this giant bird with a blanket of clouds beneath its body so you couldn't see it, or the animals down below. And from time to time, it would, as it passed certain areas of the world, it would blink its eyes and you'd have lightning coming out, flap its wings, and that was the sound of the thunder, the beating of its wings. And it would swoop from those clouds and capture whales and bring them to the top of mountains, and that's where they would eat them. And he said... If you go up to that mountain, and he pointed at one, and he said, if you go up there, you'll see whale bones up there from what the Thunderbird ate. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, big story. He goes, Noah, he goes, that's what the old people said. You go up there, you'll find whale bones. Well, I talked to someone, and he 
you know, told me, yeah, there's uh, tourists go up there with different things, you know, out, up in the Alpines, and they came across some type of swimming dinosaur that once swam through the seas, and the fossilized remains are on top of that mountain. So you can imagine my ancestors walking around up in that Alpines thousands of years ago, and, you know, whether it be hunting mountain goat or harvesting their wool during the shed season, because that was, you know, used in our clothing back in the day, as well as the food that's up there in the Alpine and the medicinal plants. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, they come around the corner in a shale deposit and there's the bones of a whale. They don't know about dinosaurs, plate tectonics and how the bottom of a seath floor with a fossilized creature could be pushed to the Alpines of a mountain. And, you know, they're scratching their heads trying to figure out, you know, where this comes from. And at the same turn, you know, they have the story of the Thunderbird. And it's like, oh, that's who's catching them. But you got to look at the basis. So if you look at the science of that, everything has a reason for it. You know, it's just in modern times that down in uh, Chile and Peru and even in United States, they're finding fossilized remains of condor-type birds with giant wingspans that flew through the skies of North, Central, and South America. And because the people that study that, they can look at the shape of a bird's beak and or even a dinosaur's beak, and they can hypothesize what type of creature that bird harvested on or that dinosaur that flew through the skies and one of them that had, a, I can't remember the size of the wingspan, but this fossil they found, they hypothesized that it used to be marine-based, like an eagle so or an osprey eating things from the water environment. So you can imagine that if, you know, back in when uh, humans first came here from Europe and Asia on the land bridges, and I'm not a supporter of last ice age, I think my ancestors are a little bit more worldly four or five ice ages back. So we've been here for quite some time. So you can imagine them being here and all of a sudden looking up and seeing this type of condor swooping down and maybe capturing a baby dolphin or porpoise. Well, as the generations go and this bird becomes extinct, well, the legend, the story of it sort of gets a little bit twisted, as you can say, and and all of a sudden, it's no longer catching dolphins and porpoises. As an ancestor witnessed, it was actually catching a whale, they say, because that explains those whale bones on top of that mountain over there. So that's where I see the path of legend and story going. And then, of course, we lump it in nowadays to mythology. It really didn't happen. No, there it was a basis for mythology, for myths. Where did it come from? Well, you have to look at the sciences and that's where, you know, that's the grounds and the stand I take. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that, you know, that, yeah. uh, you know cuz like you say, you know, you can imagine modern people finding these uh well, these bones and then wondering, you know, obviously something must have brought them here and then yeah, like but obviously they don't know the science behind it. That make I mean, again, so that's, you know, that's what intrigues me about you because um you have this um like I'm going to say, scientific uh, basis to a lot of what you say, and then obviously, obviously, when you come to like Bigfoot and stuff like that, you are adamant, you know, that you've seen it, you know, it exists, and that. So that, mm. you know, that sort of um, it's a bit of a dichotomy, isn't it? That you know, because obviously people won't accept the Bigfoot, you know, um, which well, is you know, there, which we? is unusual. But um, so. so as far as elemental spirits, then. Um, 
ghosts, this kind of thing. Uh, you know, what you probably attribute to the woo-woo side of stuff. Um, do you think there's any basis for any of this in uh, mythology or, you know, from your tribe's uh, point of view? Oh, absolutely. Um, like I said before, and I always say it, I'm chasing Sasquatch Bigfoot. I'm trying to get conclusive proof with a camera or FLIR recording. So I I have to be crispy out in the bush. And I've lived there for over 30 years in the bush off and on more in these modern times, in these times in my life. But back in my, you know, teens to my early 40s, I was out there constantly. And you got to stay crispy. And being crispy means you got to keep it together. You got to stay focused. You know, you can't be sitting there worried about what your girlfriend's doing back on the mainland while you're out in the bush. Otherwise, you're thinking about all this and you don't hear that grizzly bear or that cougar or wolf pack come into your camp. The next thing you know, you're being fertilized or being pooped all over the forest. So you got to stay crispy. That's the way I look at it. So with ghosts in 19, late 1980s, when I was sent out to my tribe's abandoned native village, I'd read the books, Totem Poles and Tea by Wiley, uh, by, uh, Eugenia Harold, um, oh, A Curve of Time by Wiley Blanchett and others about my abandoned native village that I was now being sent to be a watchman caretaker of. Well, they all spoke of these ghost stories. And then growing up and being a commercial fisherman when I wasn't in school up in northeastern Vancouver Island in my homelands at a Kwakwakiwak nation tribe I belong to, we have stories about Lolilah, the ghosts. When you go to Potlatch, you see ghost dances. You know, people, their family's interpretation of what their ancestor witnessed or saw or heard, you know, hundred thousands of years ago. So hearing all these stories about ghosts, you know, I had a father who's still with us and he's brought me up to not believe in ghosts. There's always something. You got to find out what the explanation is. And he gives, it gives an example of how he went into a house to see someone and, you know, just walked in the door our way and he could hear someone walking around on the back porch. You could hear that don't, 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 don't. And right away, you know, his mind started to get uncrispy and he started, Oh, it's a lowly look. It's a ghost. But he said, I had to find out what it was. And when he investigated, it was a couple chickens pecking stuff off the wooden porch in the back of the house there was the footsteps so he taught me that and repeated it through my life and other examples so to me i don't believe in ghosts but at the same turn when i went into that abandoned native village of ours and i'd heard all the stories of that village and other places where the lolilok the ghosts were and i heard some really amazing ghost stories growing up i had to stay crispy i couldn't think about them but at the same time, I wasn't going to take a chance. My mother, being a full-blooded Cree Indian, the Plains people, we offer tobacco. It's part of the ritual of respect to whether you go on the water or go into the forest hunting or you're going into a place of possible ghosts. You offer tobacco to your ancestors. And, you know, and it wasn't the first time I went in that village. I went up to the abandoned big house beams, which used to be a traditional longhouse or big house, we call them where the potlatches took place and where families lived in for generations and for thousands of years at the site. Well, of course, I started talking to, you know, our creator, God, and the an tell him to tell the ancestors, I'm here, this is why I'm here, the chief and council sent me, 
um, to clean up the village and record where all these tourists come from. Well, right while I was doing that, I'm offering tobacco to the four points of the compass. And I said towards the end of my talk to the ancestors and to you, Loliloch, you ghosts, I'm going to be here working. I'm supposed to make trails through the village and outhouses and picnic tables. And it's all overgrown because it's been abandoned for over 20 years. But as I do my work, I'll be here all day long. And at the end of the day, I'll go on my speedboat behind the island to where my trailer and my little cabin is. So the village is yours afterwards to walk through the trails, to look at your viewscapes as you used to when you lived here. So let's make a deal. While I'm weed eating and doing my tours here, I'll be by myself a lot of times. I don't believe in ghosts. Let's keep it that way. Because if you come out and tap me on the shoulder and go, boo, I'm probably going to leave and never come back again. And you're going to have an overgrown <laughs> village. <laughs> so every summer I did that on my first day upon arrival. And I still do it when I go out there. I'll possibly be there in August this year. And I'll do the same ritual. Yeah. And it's respect. And yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's what you have to do. So has anybody else reported seeing ghosts there? Then that doesn't do that. <laughs> I don't know what, you know, everyone's got their own way yeah, to yeah. deal with it. But I have heard the ghost stories, you know, from that village. If you read, uh, I believe it's called uh, The Owl Called My Name. And it's about uh, our region back in the 1940s and 50s. And they talk about something that took place in a native village. Well, when I first started this program for my tribe, you know, I was a young punk, you know, and I was out there. And, you know, when you first get out in the bush as a young man, you know, you're scared of everything that goes snap, crack, pop in, in the bush. So I was out there doing my thing and it was fine. And it was a real beautiful summer's day. And I had a trail right through the village linking the fallen totem poles and the big house remains. But you got to remember that the thimbleberry and the wild fruit trees, the blackberries, they're like eight to ten feet high. So you got like these tunnels, not tunnels, but these like the First World War, like trenches going through the bush. And after I did my native tour, this one tourist woman, she come up to me and she grabbed me and she goes, come with me. And she starts dragging me down this trail. And I'm thinking, what the heck this woman doing anyway? And uh, she gets me to this place and she says, I was here a couple years ago with my family and we came in on our dinghy from our yacht. And there was another two other people because we saw their empty dinghy on the beach and there's no one else in the village. And we could hear them walking from over there. And she pointed where this one big fallen totem pole lays down and they were sort of walking. They could hear and just started to see each other and they both stopped both groups and they could hear fire burning and the crackle, the snap, they could feel the heat. And all of a sudden she says, you could almost see flames flickering and dancing and it was big. And then we heard the scream of people and she says, we got out of there. And those other two people on the dinghy on the beach said they had witnessed it too. And as soon as she pointed to where this took place, you know, I'd heard the stories of some tragic fires that had taken place in our villages, especially that one. You know, I just, I remember grabbing a cigarette and offering tobacco and said, hey, if, you know, it's uh, it's all right. Sorry about this. And I turned and got out of there. You know, I never personally witnessed it myself, but I heard that one. The other one is written in the, I think it's written in the Curve of Time by Wiley Blanchett. 
about my village and the whimpering dog. It's supposed to be a dog, a little black dog people have seen. And it's never there when you try to look for it. It won't come to you. It's real timid, and whimpers away, like making that little whimpering noise dogs make. Well, I was in the village one afternoon and weed eating and doing the clearing myself. No one was there. And all of a sudden I heard that whimpering, that like crying. So I was right away. The hair stands up in the back of my neck and I'm like looking around for a tourist with their imitation below knee height mutt that they let in the village without a leash. Couldn't see anything. Hollered, hey, anyone in the village? No answer. And so I heard it again. So I thought, okay, I got to go do like my dad with the chickens. I got to go look. So now I'm walking into the bush under the cherry trees, apple trees, crab apple trees, and I'm hearing that whimpering. And then I'd hear cracking in the bush, and then I'd hear the whimpering again. And at this point, I'm like, wow, this is probably the famous black puppy that you hear about in all the stories. But I kept pushing. And then all of a sudden, as I'm pushing the branches and parting it, crouch down, and you know, I, all of a sudden I look. And there running up a branch is a little squirrel, and it stops, and it rubs its eyes real fast, and it starts whimpering away. Well, around its eyeballs, it's just covered in wood ticks that were filled with blood, and there was the whimpering dog. So, you know, to me, you know, it's things have happened out there, but usually I've found that there's always an explanation. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, Tom, what's your uh, belief in uh, sea monsters? I haven't seen them myself, but I sure hear a lot of stories. Like uh, the Kwakwaki Walk. If uh, you type in sea monster, Kwakwaki Walk or Kwagyoth, and I'm sure you'll have it on your podcast, different explanations, or they can go to my Facebook group, Sasquatch Island, and you'll see all the terms on there. Or just private message me or email me, and I'll give you how to spell it and I've researched but the Kwakwakiwak have the stories of the double-headed sea serpent, and we call it Sisiuth. S-I-S-I-U-L-T-H is one spelling. Another one is Sisiutl. So, like I say, it's a tough one to spell. In. But once you do find it, you can research about it. Or you can go to the uh, our cultural center website, umitsta.ca, U apostrophe m-i-s-t-a dot c-a umitsta dot c-a is our cultural site and i'll have information about it but our people it's very very powerful high-ranking crest the cease youth they say in the old times if you looked at it you would turn to stone and die but if you made friends with it or you killed it with trickery you could acquire its its power, supernatural power for a short period of time to help you and mainly in battle, make you see through things, see great distances, hear great distances, make yourself invisible. One story is about Klislagila, the supernatural one, having the power to see youth in his canoe, and he was able to have his canoe without having to use paddles. It was self-propelled because of that power. Other stories are to rub the blood on your body and you get the skin of stone so no weapon or blow can harm you in battle and the list goes on it all depends on the family because every family has their crests and they have their interpretation and their legend and story about it 
but you hear all kinds of things. And at Potlatch, you see the Cease Youth Society members come out. And, you know, they usually carry a, either a carving of the Cease Youth or a mask or a club called Nikhla. And this is all attributed to the double-headed sea serpent. And from time to time, you hear the stories about these people seeing that same creature that's fossilized bones are on top of one of our mountains. Some kind of dinosaur that swam with flippers and the long neck and a head that was similar to a snake and a crocodile full of big teeth and a long tapering tail. And you hear stories, especially up around a place called Kinkum Inlet and a place called Belle Isle Sound. I've even heard it referred to as the Belle Isle Monster that swims around there. And this is the mouth of an inlet, a fjord that's very, very deep. And the mouth of a lot of salmon go up that inlet because there's uh, numerous rivers up there off of in Kinkum Inlet and in Wakeman Sound just on its north side down at the mouth. So there's a lot of protein. And then you got black cod in the inlet that uh, are in there in the deeps. You got prawns and shrimp and crabs. Uh, what else do you have in there? Herring. So it's a place that has a lot of protein. And if, whether it be tourists on their yachts or locals, even the natives that have the stories that go back to the dawn of our creation about the sea serpent, which we refer to as sea youth, the double-headed sea serpent. And I know going back to when we first started about mythology. Is it a myth? No, absolutely not. My father saw one in 1958. 1958 was a record return of sockeye salmon to the coast of British Columbia, mainly the Fraser River down in the south part of our province. But as the salmon came through eastern Vancouver Island up around the top end where my territories are, my father grew up and fished. They were traveling on a boat in a summer's day going from Alert Bay to Port McNeil, and it's about an hour-long journey. And him and another crewman were sitting on the bridge just steering the boat, BSing away, and all of a sudden my dad said, hey, look, 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 and they saw that creature swimming on the mirror-smooth water with that head like I described and body, and he said it was coming like a torpedo as the boat was traveling, like it wanted to hit the boat. And it, they were both looking at it, and it passed right by the stern. It missed the boat. But my dad said, and he showed me pictures in the books and all that. It's that double, that uh, flipper dinosaur that swam yeah, in the ocean. Please, please. Yeah, so what we have like Loch Ness over here. Yeah, there you go. Same yeah. as what you guys got. That's yeah. Exactly. So he saw it, my father. And but of do you course, think it you know, was a? I think that was a warning shot. Then do you think it was deliberately targeting the boat like that yeah. as a warning? Shot across the bow or such. Yeah. <laughs> Shot across the stern. Yeah. I, yeah, I'll give the creature benefit of the doubt. You know, it's a little bit smarter than to go ram its head against a wooden boat. <laughs> the diesel motor pounding away. So, yeah, I think it was a definitely a bluff charge, a full-out charge, but definitely a charge all the same mm. of, you know, just get out of my space. This is my chunk of the water right now. Mm. And obviously, I mean, you, you you know, you say your father wasn't prone to fantasy, so obviously if he said he saw this, he saw this. So, I mean, is that the most recent sighting of it, or have you heard uh, no, no people? Down by Victoria, Little England, Little London, they call it, Victoria, okay. British Columbia, on the south tip of Vancouver Island, there's a place called Cabborough Bay, and they have the Cabosaurus, the same creature, seen 
quite a bit. You hear reports in the newspaper from time to time. You see them on our local news network. You know, some person retired who's living in Cadborough Bay because it's a pretty affluent part of Victoria region on Vancouver Island. And, you know, you hear some guy talking about how he's walking his dog along the path along the shore and all of a sudden looked out and there was Cabosaurus with his long neck poking about and a head that's similar to a horse and he's just doing his thing. So, yeah, no, we get reports all the time. Commercial fishermen, they see some things out there that they can't explain, you know. Um, you hear the story how its heads, sometimes you see a long neck and a head that's similar to a wolf or a horse. And just, I, I'm not going to say my research. I'm just going to say in my Tommy 10,000 questions asking what, where, when, how, what do you see? I've starting to see that there's like the dinosaurs, two different types of creatures or more. So the one that, like the Haidas, for example, that live on Haidaguay, otherwise known incorrectly for generations as Queen Charlotte Islands, you know, that was your queen, not ours. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but we call the island now Haidaguay, which is the homeland of the Haida native tribe. And they have stories, I, you know, I'm no respect to the Haidas that may listen to this. I'm probably not saying it right, but it looks like Wasco or Wasco. And their description is this creature eats whales, killer whales. And it looks like uh, it's a cross between like a wolf, almost like a bear in the water. And they have their own stories, which is not my place to talk about. That's for them to share. So, But, uh, you know, they talk about it. The Coast Salish tribes, which are from about the south portion, eastern Vancouver Island, across to the mainland, which is Vancouver, and all the way down into the United States, into Puget Sound's deepest depths, and out to the west coast of Vancouver Island, to about uh, Port Renfrew, which is just as you enter the Pacific Ocean to the Juan de Fuca Strait. That's the Coast Salish tribes' territories, and they're made up of, I think, over 60 tribes. They have stories about the sea creature. And I even went to, uh, when I was doing my Aboriginal Adventures Canada television show, and if you YouTube that name, you can see some sizzler clips. And I believe one of them will show me in a black and red tunic with a uh, grizzly bear design and buttons on it. And I'm standing in front of a petroglyph, a rock carving. And it's pot, they said it was a sea monster <clears throat> that was seen out there. And other parts of the British Columbia coast, because I was a commercial fisherman, so I traveled the coast extensively for decades, off and on through the year in different seasons, herring and salmon, halibut and cod, prawns, crab. And, you know, you get bored, so you go exploring. You go gunk-holing on the beach and, you know, you hear the stories from the locals. Oh, you might want to go down that pass there and look on the right-hand side going out, and you'll see these rock carvings from our ancestors. So I go look, and on numerous occasions, you come across carvings of sea monsters. Yagis is the name in my language for sea monster. And, you know, you, you look at them, and some of them are similar to something you see in the dinosaur book about these swimming dinosaurs. Um, others, you know, you can't make heads or tails. They got big, huge, googly eyes and things. And then me being Tommy 10,000 questions, I started looking at the googly eyed ones, the big eyes. 
And I started thinking about and asking questions to some of my elders about Boguis, the underwater sea monster. And the story often goes that when you're in your canoe in the old times and you look over the gunnels, you'd see in the bull kelp forest or the um, other kelp forests, like, you know, we have Luminera Pacifica, um, you will see this creature underwater that looks like a sea lion, but it's not. And it has big round eyes and has buck teeth. And it's chewing on the root balls of the kelp forest down where they affix to the rock. And when you're looking at it, you see that. And it looks up at you with those big eyes. And when it sees you, its big tail moves slowly and lethargically after it blows bubbles, disappears into the deep, dark depths of the ocean, Kumakwa's kingdom, the underwater sea god. So that, knowing that, and then looking at some of the carvings, looking at some of the masks, seeing those masks dance to the potlatch from different families. And my family, we don't have the Pugwis in our box of treasures. So I don't hear the stories from my family, nor do I see it in our potlatches, but definitely with other families. And so I started researching, and looking more into it and talking to the carvers about their family's interpretations. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me what it was when Baranoff and Stellar came to the North American West Coast via Alaska and the Aleutian Islands and on two ships under the Tsar of Russia's order, and they found these sea otters. Well, they knew right then that these sea otters are very valuable in Europe and throughout Asia, so they kept pushing south. You know, the British, your ancestors were staking claim, uh, all the other countries in Europe were staking claim. And so the Russians came down as far as Kayak Island, which is now, I, I believe, Sitka, Alaska. And they turned back and went back to uh, Russia and said, hey, we need more trade goods. We've got to go establish, you know, claim there. So they came back and they went. But on the first trip when they're out here, they came across a manatee very lethargic in the kelp forest and, you know, being explorers and, you know, not of North American descent, you guys, your ancestors and the Asian ones are always starving to death when they came here. can't figure that one out. But anyway, they go <laughs> and they start shooting these things and eating them and use the oil for their lamps. As the whalers come up from South America and push into what would later become North America from the Baja of California, Mexico, that's when they started coming into these lethargic manatees in the Pacific kelp forest. And Stellar had already named it. He called it Stellar's Sea Cow. So they came forth harvesting these things. And before you know it, there was only one fossil, um, one remains of bones in the world. They're in Vladivostok, Russia right now. So we know that this creature was here up until just after European and Asian contact on the North American's West Coast. But because of greed and poor hunting skills, the Europeans and Asian ancestors that came in these sailing ships, they over-harvested them, wiped them out. So Stellar Sea Cow, that's my people's Pugwis. It's not a sea monster. It's an extinct sea creature. So going back to the beginning of the podcast here, mythology. 
there's a good example of how it gets twisted as yeah, yeah, I would yeah, push person yeah, with definitely. something that you used to see but you yeah. don't know anymore you don't any longer see and then you wonder where it's gone and, and then yeah. it becomes myth yeah that makes sense yeah um, yeah uh, Tom um, have you seen little people not myself um, I haven't but I sure have been hearing the stories on them you know I've heard noises in the bush can I attribute to the little people no because I didn't see it didn't smell it but my people and I have a mask and a costume and I've danced it I've danced it in potlatch and performances for others and it's called the Bukwus, the wild man of the woods. Now that's lost in interpretation because we have Bukwus, which is also often confused as our Sasquatch. It's not. The, the little one is the Bukwus and it's from the spiritual realm. It is said to be, have hair on its body, skeletal form. It moves very quick and jerky like a bird. You know, when you see little dicky birds, that's what they move like. Cause you gotta remember, dicky move, birds move like that because they're always swivel necked and, getting ready to fly at a moment's notice because everything else is trying to eat them. Yeah, yeah. So the bokus being small, same it's, thing. It's, it's prey, yeah. Yeah. Yep. His favorite food being the cockle, which is a type of shellfish. Actually, you guys know what cockles yeah, are. Yeah. You always see pickled cockles in the stores here from England. <laughs> Not that I'd ever eat them because you guys' salt water is more poison than ours will ever be. <laughs> yeah, I can agree with that. It's <laughs> still don't we? Yeah. yeah. So... The cockle is the favorite food of our Bukwis, but every tribe has peep stories about the little people. I was up in uh, the north of 60, we call it. It's close to the Arctic Circle. North of 60 is sort of the parallel that separates the provinces from the territories along Canada. And it's sort of uh, like an equator to us. When you cross north, you've gone north, you've gone north when you've gone across 60. Well, when I was north of 60 up in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, we were fishing last, a year ago, June, you know, three native guys in a boat. And they're all from up there except for me. And they're all having fun. And I'm designated driver. And all of a sudden I said, hey, what about Sasquatch, Bigfoot? Oh, yeah, we call them Naga. And they had a couple stories. And then I said, what about little people? Oh, yeah, little people. Ooh, scary. And this guy who was a team leader for a forest fire fighting team that was all native people last spring and summer up there. And he said, geez, just 10 days ago, two weeks ago, I had a crew working a forest fire and they're fighting their way, pushing the flames over this little hill. And when they got towards the top, fighting away with the hoses and everything, and all of a sudden out of this stump that was, you know, rotten, a tree stump, this little hairy human jumped out looked at him and put its arm up in front of his face and with his left arm he reached into the stump and started pulling his family members out and as he was pulling them out those little hairy people were running downhill so they were taking refuge in under the ground while this forest fire was burning and then the humans come and push the fire back up the hill and over the crest and that's when that little people family jumped out and they took off and ran down the hill and disappeared into, you know, the brush and everything that was smoldering away and got away. And that guy goes, I see, he goes, yeah, I got the phone call a little bit, a little while later. And I went and checked out this 
crew. And, you know, I remember crews of native fire teams are usually family and friends from different villages. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, this group that all knew each other quit on the spot. They jumped in the <laughs> truck and bring us back to town. We're leaving because they'd seen these little people. He said, like, come on, guys, I'll move you to a different place. And they're like, nope, nope, nope. They were so freaked out over seeing this family of little people that they just got the heck out of there. So, I didn't say that these things, um, you know, communicated in any way. I'm presuming, <clears throat> you know, obviously the, the, you know, these guys putting the fire out, it's doing them a service in yeah, some way, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. On that report, no, I didn't get any vocalization sound reports or any chatter or anything like that. But others I have, you know, in Washington State a month and a half ago, uh, just south of Seattle, and I went to visit these people that are from one of the tribes there because I'm always researching and I lived on part time. Well, they just, I mentioned little people and that was it. It was just like chatter, chatter, chatter. They were just filling me with different incidents, encounters, and they'd had them both. This husband and wife had both had encounters down there in the urban setting and like on the outskirts of the Indian reserves are generally sort of sparsely populated compared to the urban down in Washington state. You know, all the non-Indians are all crammed in condos and apartments and stores and strip malls. And it looks like cookie cutter communities, but then you get these big, huge Indian reserves, which have trees and, you know, they have areas that, you know, maybe one or three main roads and a small hamlet of houses and condos and school and different things like that. Then all of a sudden this whole vast track of forest and then the edge of the Indian Reserve is forest continuing up into the Cascade Mountains. Well, this they were sitting there outside and they could hear things running. They looked and you know, I thought it was raccoons or possums. And here is one of those little people looking, you know, he said it was about three feet high, looking at him from under the brush and running. And then all of a sudden they noticed there was more of them. And then they got, she what do you call it, rounded up her kids and they went inside the house. And she said, this is like, two hours before dark, you know, we wanted to be outside last year enjoying the summer sunset and the warmth, but because the little people showed up, we had to go inside the house. So, I mean, the people, like, that's two examples there of people seeing these things and fleeing. So, I mean, Ooh. is there some sort of, you know, Can be reason for this? Is there yeah. something in the culture what says these things are bad news? Or Well, my, I can only speak for my tribe, mind you, yeah. but my Ooh. tribe is if, uh, the Bokus is the keeper of the ghost rope, and he'll put food out for you and try to trick you. If you eat that food, you might think it's delectable smoked salmon, uh, herring eggs, uh, seaweed, dried salmon called gawas. And as you start eating it, all of a sudden you notice it turned to slugs and worms and yeah, maggots, slugs. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have the fairies. same thing over here called fairies. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's our story. And, now your soul's captured by the bequests, and if you look at the smoke from your family's fires from up on the mountain and you try to run back to get there, when you look again, you're further than when you first started. Because you sampled the food of the bequests, your spirit is captured forever. Mm. Impossible we, we have to get stories, back home. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know if this is similar over there, but we have stories when we, in regards to these fairies, these little people. We have stories where people have... Um, uh, almost succumbed to them, almost at the food, almost at the drink, but then didn't. And uh, the fairies eventually let them go. And, uh, you know, in their time, 
maybe 10, 15 minutes has passed. But when they come back to the real world, our world, there's like almost like three, four weeks have gone by. I mean, is that is, is that something that you've run into over there? It rings a bell, but I can't say for sure. You know, I've heard so many different stories from different tribes and I've on a continual basis. But, um, yeah, I would imagine so. I'll definitely, you know, next interview, maybe I'll find something out. I'll ask that question to somebody. Yeah, no, I just think it's interesting how these stories, especially like we've done about before players, or the, the, the Loch Ness Monster, these little people, these fairies, and the, the, they're all over the world, aren't they? You know, I mean, Bigfoot, you know, Bigfoot's everywhere, isn't yeah, it? Course, uh, yeah. Australia, you know, China's even reported it, obviously Russia, uh, Alaska, uh, you know, obviously America's. Um, well, I mean, even England's had reports, but I don't really give too yeah. much credence to them. <laughs> but um, you know, it's everywhere. So I mean, something's going on. Well, the media's uh, the media's kind of putting a lid on it as well as, as best it can. Yeah, yeah, trying to keep it down. Yeah, absolutely. It's still yeah. you know pretty uh, commonplace, isn't it? I mean, mm. I mean, you're obviously you know the little people are like people fear them and that the, the bigfoot. I mean, you've got two kinds of. Um, relationships going on with a Bigfoot there. You've got people who, uh, like some, some tribes revere it and some, tri- some tribes really, really fear the Bigfoot. I mean, are we talking about more than one different type of big fella? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you know, like we keep it, it's just recently where, and that's why I came on to no offense, but white man's magic, the most powerful tool in the world called the internet. And why I came out and started Sasquatch Island Facebook group. I didn't start it. I took it over from a, a gentleman who was, didn't have time to put time into it. He had 42 members. Now we're almost to 3000. But the reason why I came out is I went to my family and leaders and my people, uh, high ranking people in my nation, my tribe and said, look, you know, I'm, I'm going to use the term, no offense, you know, but these white people are getting it all mixed up. They're calling the Bukwis, the Sasquatch. And they're, you know, they're not pronouncing the terms right. They're mixing all this stuff up. And it's bad enough that the names were lost in an interpretation where Junokwa, the big Sasquatch in our people, it translates to meaning the wild woman in the woods. Well, we also have a male one. So it can't be wild of the woman of the woods. Just uh, got lost in interpretation. But what's the wild man of the woods? Well, my teacher who lives on uh, on our Indian reserve where I was born, you know, he's always, and, you know, humans, you make mistakes. And so we don't get into that mythical thing, how we twist things up. He's, I'm always reaching out to him. He's reaching back out to me. And we're communicating. And that's what you're supposed to do. And he's saying, hey, Tom, you know, you got this part a little mixed up. Okay, then I clarify it. So that's what I'm doing with Sasquatch Island as far as the Kwakwakiwak and other tribes that share their information with me is we're getting our stories out properly. And, you know, it gets too muddled and everything. And, mm. you know, it's... Is there it's, any... Uh, I was going to say, is there any tribes uh, that don't want to really share this stuff? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, like... Uh, let me think here if I can actually that, know. Uh, you know, is that out of uh, out, well, is that out of fear of uh, repercussions of you know, you know, people you, going. You know, like if you speak yeah, about these yeah. creatures, sometimes bad things can happen to you. That kind of thing. Some of them believe that absolutely. Yeah. Some of them, uh, my people, respect respect the Junoha. You don't ever try to harm it or disrespect it. You don't dare try to shoot it. 
Most tribes are like that as well. Some tribes are, you don't even look at it. You hear it, you get away, you don't even speak about it. So I won't even say the name of the tribe, but because of Sasquatch Island, I have a television show in production called Sasquatch Island. I was talking to two brothers from a central United States tribe, a nation. And we were doing the white man thing, talking about putting a contract together so I can go down there with my film crew and film them. Well, you know, there's so many things we have to do on a native level. I have to go see the chief and council and ask permission. That's protocols. Respect. So anyway, as we're discussing, I said, okay, we're not going to do this like white people. I'm going to jump in a bus and I'm going to drive halfway across a continent to come see you and sit at your blanket with you and your brother and others and communicate. Then I'll come back home and develop the contract and then we'll go back and forth on emails and we'll finally sign off and we'll start filming. Oh, geez, that's very respectful, Tom. Thank you, they said. And my wife looked at me and goes, you're not taking a bus there. We're flying out there. So we jumped on a plane and flew four hours to central United States and met with them. And you know, found out that they, they educated me. They have a whole different way. They have certain respect levels. Like you don't go out there under the influence of alcohol. You don't wear camouflage clothing. You don't, uh, um, um, you don't bring video cameras or FLIR devices and you try to, and you communicate with them. They went down there. They, we said prayers and then we all spoke to, the forest. This is like one thirty in the morning. And then 20 minutes later, we could hear something walking towards us. And all of a sudden, this big stick was tossed in our direction, crashing through the forest. And we could hear something breathing, smelling us. I'm talking away to their creature, telling them who I am and why I'm there. And then all of a sudden, it just walks away. So it's... Oh, what, what, what language hmm. was you communicating in? Oh, I can't tell you that. Yeah. Let me tell you what tribe. <laughs> Respect. Let's just say na- let's just say native tongue then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah, native yeah. tongue. Actually, I was speaking in my native language because okay. I don't know theirs. I just mm. use the term. But, but the you see, but it seems to understand you. You guys well, have to say that, yeah. Oh yeah, they're just humans. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Is that okay, what you? you think, is that what you think Bigfoot is then? You think it is some sort of relic commented? Yeah, because, you know, as humans, you know, number one, we're contaminated with Christianity. We're contaminated with your guys' colonial ways, that yeah, pompous yeah. and arrogance that came yeah. to North America. No offense, but, you know, you got to call a spade a spade. Absolutely. Yeah. And know that we're going to know our history, so we're never destined to repeat its mistakes. Mm. And you know, You'd think so, wouldn't you? But yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's why I'm the way I am. I'm a bushman, commercial fisherman by trade. People come to Sasquatch Island and they get all offended because Tom did this, said this about me. No, I call a spade a spade. I say what I mean and I mean what I say because humans need to be verbally bitch slapped from time to time to keep <laughs> you straight. You know, look at people yeah. in the military. Why are they so respectful? Because they've been bitch slapped verbally in the military and they know their place in society and that military ranks and that's what we've lost as a people look at you guys in england i watch what's going on news with your guys's muslim problem with the poor bobbies yeah. running around with no pistols you know that's just disgrace mm. give those bobbies a gun and crack a few of those irate extremists and they'll settle down real quick look at trump he's really putting <laughs> finger on it back over here so anyway getting to the you know you got to do say what you mean and mean what you say you got to look at what's going on so 
factored in religious contamination to the frontal lobe development and the thought process of a North American first world G20 human. And then you factor in your, you know, your different society's beliefs, you know, based on a colonial wave, which is in Canada quite a bit, you know, then you got the lefty liberalism that, oh, we don't do this and we don't say that. God forbid we might offend someone. And then you have no discipline. You know, look at our North, Northern Hemisphere society. It's fallen apart for one reason and one reason only, lack of discipline. Why our prisons are full, why the hooligans are doing what they do at your soccer games and why their gangbangers are doing what they do in our North American cities. No discipline, no proper upbringing, no discipline right back to it again. So if we factor all of that in and equate it, this person really educated me a month ago when I was down south. Um, I'm trying to be cautious because I don't want to let too much out. Uh, but he says that they have harvesters, hunters, scouts, and rogues. Rogues being clan family leaders that were displaced, and now they've gone feral. They like, get uh, like, uh, like lions. Ooh. And wolves. Yeah, they and go, wolves. Now they've gone feral. Now, you got to remember that. Look at Napoleon when he was, uh, what do you call, exiled to that island. And he came back, you know, he was an arrogant, militant little SOP <laughs> when he came back, you know. So, and you look at the stories in the English part about people being exiled, sent to prison, sent to an island. Look at all the people you sent to Australia, exiled to Australia because they're criminals in England. And look at them still to this day. They got no really direct respect for the British monarchy because their ancestors were kicked out and, you know, and so they have an attitude problem. Yeah, yeah, don't so, blame them. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's what a rogue is. So see now your listeners that are British, you're listening to this and they're going, oh, my God, I've never heard someone speak like this. Well, yeah, I'm a savage Indian from North America. You're getting a good deal now. And uh, so rogues will do that. So one of the questions I asked him was, how do they keep it all together? And he says, they have laws. And Right away, I'm sitting there going, okay, my belief on these creatures are they are they're a branch of the primates. They're like a mountain gorilla that's a North American one, more bipedal than an African mountain gorilla. And that was my belief until I went there, until fellow North American Indian educated me that they're just the tribe. You know that. They're the other tribe. So now let's look at – let's go back to – R.M. Nelson's day when he's on his sailing ship going around the world and Captain Cook and all of a sudden they go and they see Hawaiian people. Well, they look Hawaiian. They're Hawaiian. But gee, they're kind of similar to the people down in New Zealand. But then we get a little further west and we hit this place called Australia and these Aborigines, well, they look far different than those people just a thousand miles to the east off Australia called Polynesians. And now we go to northern Australia, and lo and behold, there's the people of what used to be called New Guinea, Arian Jaya. Look totally different. Look more Aborigine, but then again, different altogether. And now all of a sudden, we're in Indian, in uh, China, Japan. And then all of a sudden, we skip around here, and we get to India. And then we get to Africa. 
So back in R.M. Nelson and Captain Cook's day, people were really different looking. Their cultures, their societies, their languages, their mannerisms, the food they ate. Nowadays, we've been so mixed up. So now, you know darn well, you're downtown London looking around at those hot-looking British girls that are actually of East Indian descent, but they have you can tell that they have some inbreeding with your British people. They're a little bit fairer skin. And the other tribes of humans that have come to the British Isles the same way. It's no different in North America, Australia, other places. So what we have now is we have a mixing of human genes. The tribes are mixing. So let's go forward 1,500 years. Well, I think you're pretty much going to have almost a one uniform human type person. So you look at the greys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. The greys the are, yeah. are always the greys. Yeah. So if we compare them to the humans on Earth, the greys are probably, what, two, three thousand, who knows how many years more advanced than us. Their tribes on their planet have a lot longer time of mixing together to come out with this hybrid creature called a grey that we call it to them. They call themselves whatever they call themselves, but they all look uniform and alike. So that's what we're in a transition of. But now, because of our contamination of the things I said have contaminated us at this modern time in our path on Earth as humans, we look at the Sasquatches. Oh, it comes out of portholes from a different time space. Oh, flying saucers come down and they do like Star Trek and Scotty beams them down and beams them back up. That's why we can never find Sasquatch. Those are the non-frontal lobe developed humans yeah. in our Earth I think, I think that's, that uh, that, that's uh, our way of saying we don't know. We we can't explain it, so it must be fucking from a spaceship. You yeah, know what I mean? Everything's from space. Yeah. Rather not, than, yeah. you know, because we can't find it and we can't go out and out capture them and put them in zoos, yeah, it must be from See? space. Yeah. You yeah. guys did that colonial yeah. thing a day, lumped yeah. it in we. So you're yeah. doing like the commies do. Yeah. We're oh, all yeah, created yeah. equally. Mm. As a bushman, see what I'm getting at? As a yeah, commercial yeah. fisherman comes from military hierarchy on a ship. You have to look at it in that level. So you got to keep it simple. The ones that go into the portholes and the time dimension and the cloaking, those are the ones with non-well-developed frontal lobes as humans within our tribe. I know I'm going to PO a lot of people, but I don't really care because don't be shoving your stuff down my throat and I won't shove mine down yours. And if you don't like this, hit the off button and go watch TV. Mm. So now if we... the audience gone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they'll want me back. (laughs) Because now the ones with well-developed frontal lobes are going to get edumacated by this engine, and they're going to step up and go, he's got some really good points. And maybe I should be looking at it like him, that without contaminating it and by going to Bush law and code, then they're no different than what R.M. Nelson and Captain Cook and others experienced three to five and thousand years ago. The human tribes were very diverse. They were very different. It's just in these modern last 200 years that we started to amalgamate and inbreed within the tribes. But now we're judging Sasquatch as and the little people as something that's spiritual-esque. No. Open your mind. Use your frontal lobe. They're just another form of human. 
DNA is already starting to come in, starting to give credibility to this. So I'm not going to get into the science stuff and the capital D small r periods before their names. You know, that's their realm. That's their department to prove. And that's going to be part of the path of of conclusive proof of the existence of these hair-covered bipedal creatures in all of the continents except for Antarctica. So now, see what I mean? I pissed off half your audience, yeah. and I know I mean, mean no disrespect for you guys no, out no, there. Uh, we, we, do, now, we, we have a way of, um, like, you know, let's just say, for instance, uh, the, the pandia. So we go to China, this being, you know, colonial, you know, British, you know, yeah, yeah, empire right. and all that. We go to we go to China and they talk they talk about uh, this panda bear, you know, black and white bear. And we say, no, nah, fuck off. There can't be a black and white bear. And for years we go in there trading with them and all that. And and they're still saying about this. And, and we say, no, 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 it can't it can't exist. You, know, you you guys are crazy. And then eventually we send the guy out there who goes to look for it and finds one. And then uh, obviously eventually there's a lady a lady brings one back. Uh, it was a few years after, but it was hundred years after we've been first told about it. But we wouldn't accept what they was telling us now for your example exactly what you just said it's the same if we want to know about the bigfoot we should go to the people who live alongside them you know live basically neighbors with them which are the the native people you know who live there alongside them for generations and then ask them and it's interesting that even even yourself you know you've been looking at this a long while and 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 you're you know, paradigms almost changed within a month. You know, of meeting these people and them explaining to you a little bit more mm, about what yeah. they know, and even your 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 ideas are changed. So that just shows you, doesn't it? Who we should be, you know, uh, who probably has the knowledge on this, and probably they're the last people that all these people who look into the Bigfoot, they're, they're probably the last people that they would actually go to and ask. You know, which is you know ridiculous, really. But um, so I'm not I'm not going to be vain or. Come across, I'm not doing this to be arrogance, but if we do look at our fellow humans that are able to do what you just said, to break out of the box, to break out of what was indoctrined upon us by education, society values like colonialism, religious beliefs, and we do like the animals do in the animal kingdom and push those aside and we go to just basic bush. We are a creature. This is how we think. And if you look at it in that level, what you just said, then we're able to adapt. That's evolution. And it shows that we have frontal lobes that are developed. To sit there and go, no, they cloak. No, they go through portholes. No, they are this. But you're not looking at the critter-esque, what I call in Sasquatchology. If you're not progressing back to your instinctual animal traits in your thought process, and you allow the contamination to come in, the vanity, the ego, the personal agenda, the belief, and you're not willing to listen. And as I just proved, I went from Sasquatch being North America's undiscovered great ape to, wow, I knew it, but I had to have my eyes opened. I had to have that verbal slap upside the head by a fellow North American Indian that they're just human. They're just another tribe. I mean, I think it's fascinating that, you know, he's, he's alluded to them having all these different roles, you know, like, uh, like you say, scouts, hunters. Um, I mean, it makes sense that, that, um, that'd be, um, you know, that'd be the, you know, makes sense that we wouldn't find, cause that, that obviously monkeys don't have that, do they? They have, uh, they have the, the, the kingpin, don't they? But apart from that, they're, they're all just monkeys after that. So we, you know, they're easily found because they're in a, in a big Ooh. group sitting on the ground generally. 
But um, these things, if they do have different roles, um, that would make more sense as to why, I mean, why they're so elusive. these creatures have been around for thousands of years before mm. we were here. You know, it's oh, yeah, really yeah. longer. You know, we're the ones who, who gate-crashed their lands anyway. Yeah. You know, anything sure. that moves, shoot it, kill it, that's it. You know, that's our man's, you know, thinking. So yeah. what I'm about to say to you guys right now, mark it down, record it, save it. Because we're gonna, you're gonna, you're making history here. When I was down there, I was enlightened to something. A nine and a half year old boy whose father died and he was brought to his mother's house who had some problems in her life and she didn't want to raise kids. And at nine and a half years old, the police brought him there with social workers and said, his, your ex has died. This boy needs somewhere to live. You're his mother. Okay. Let him in here. I didn't want to raise him anyway. You go have a bath and have something to eat. And uh, your coloring book's on the kitchen table. Two hours later, the back door opened up, and there was a police officer and a social services guy and another one at the front door. He was apprehended, brought to foster care 20-plus miles away. He grabbed a blanket and food that night at nine and a half years old in the springtime, and he ran away and went back to where he grew up. His family members didn't want him around because if they saw him, the social workers and police would probably take their children as well, including him. So here's some money, here's some food, go live in the bush. So he'd live in the bush, but because the dogs would pack up around town, he got scared, so he started living in the trees. And in the morning, someone would look up at him and go, hey, you can't be here. The police are looking for you and social workers. They're going to take you away and maybe my kids. Here's some money. Go on, go live in the bush. So he lived in the bush, and what something happened when he was in this abandoned farmhouse. That first few weeks, one of them walked at night towards him. He was so scared, he dove in his blankets. That thing leaned against the wall where he was sleeping outside that house. And they had no insulation. It wasn't double walled. It was an old style farmhouse with this bat board and batten, it's called. Well, the cracks in the, between the boards, he could see the hair sticking through the cracks. I felt it, he said. I smelled it. That thing, <laughs> And he just went to sleep. He was so scared. That's all he said. And then he told me about how he lived in these abandoned farmhouses that were found throughout this region. And when the weather got cold, he walked into town in October. And he was apprehended and brought to foster care. I didn't want to freeze. I lived in foster care and sucked it up until springtime. Then I gathered blankets and food and money and took off again. That was his M.O. from nine and a half until he was legal adult, 18. And I asked him one question. They, you lived with them, didn't you? They looked after you. And he just looked at me and he goes, Tom, there's so much more I have to tell you. I trust you now, but I have some things to do. So when I told Todd Neese, who is my dear friend, and I'll be at Beachfoot next weekend in Oregon with 100 and other researchers, I will share with them, but you're the first on public internet in the world, that, as Todd said, holy Christ, you found Tarzan. <laughs> yeah. I have found something. Now, I'm a Bushman. There's going to be a lot of people. Remember people when you start going to Sasquatch Island and private messaging me and putting your opinions that I'm wrong and BS. And you remember one thing, I'm 35 years or more Bushman. I'm a commercial fisherman. I'm a researcher for over most of my life. 
So when you come out, you look in the mirror and you go, okay, when I, before I hit send, I better reread what I wrote. And I better think about what Tom said about contaminated thought process. And if you can look back at your words before you hit send, you'll more than likely, if you're going to come at me as a skeptic or as uh, delusional, it can't be. I don't want to hear it. Number one, don't waste my time because I'll block you. And if I block you, you'll white man's magic. When I hit that block button on Facebook, you ain't never seen anything I post. So be very, very careful. But yes, I have found something very unique, a man that I will be out there again in two weeks spending time with them in the bush with fleurs. And I will hopefully, not going to be pompous and arrogant, I'm no, hopefully no. Yeah. going to get the conclusive proof that we need on these creatures. Yeah. Because these people down there are feeding them. Do you think, um, I mean, I mean with, with that in mind, I mean, do you think this is something that you want to get conclusive proof on? Absolutely. Yeah. And the reason yeah. being, because... Down in this area, there's 45 miles of forest length, and it's about two miles at its widest. And all around this enclave of hardwood forest is modern farms, huge flat tracks of nothing but corn and soybean and other things. So this is like the British Isles. And all of a sudden, the great flood stories from the Bible and from our native people and the Aborigines and everyone else in the world come back to haunt us again. And can you imagine the British Isles if all of a sudden the water table rose? What's your highest mountain in the British Isles? Oh, it's probably, what is it, Ben Nevis or something? Is it Ben Nevis? Yeah, it will be, won't it? How many meters, roughly? Uh, well, not off the top of my head. I can quickly find out for you. I know we've got snowed on just up the road, haven't we, but... <sighs> Okay, say so, so, to thousand to fifteen hundred meters. Yeah, I would say two. Okay. Yeah. Now let's picture five hundred meters of water rise in the oceans. It's coming anyway. But anyway, when five hundred meters rise over present state happens, think of your British Isles. Not much land left now, is there? Nope. That's no. what I found in central United States. Yeah, it's uh, Just, one. It's uh, yeah, it's one thousand three hundred and forty-five meters. Yeah. There you go. It ain't big, is it? Yeah. So we'll go eight hundred meters of rise of the ocean, half that height. Well, now you, you people in the British Isles, you're pooched. Can you imagine how confined you guys are? Now factor in as last time I spoke, we spoke about smallpox, influenza, tuberculosis, venereal disease affecting Indians and Sasquatch, right? Okay. So now you factor that that's all over and everyone's inoculated and there's this vast overpopulation which has taken place all over the world anyway and now you have half that height of waters come in 800 meters you know or people are screwed you're all confined that's what i found down in central united states all the forest of black walnut elm oak um cottonwood they're gone this one little place has this concentration of forest and all these cornfields and soybean fields to harvest on and fruit trees. And now this guy who's I more than likely was looked after by them when he was nine and a half to 18, living half the year out in the forest of this region. So now conclusive proof. Why do we need it? Because as I've told the chief and council down there, I really recommend 
adamantly that you guys put a tribal council resolution in your Indian reservation that all cutting of wood stop now. And North America right now, you know, it, it's Brazil North, British Columbia, Vancouver Island. You know, our ancient rainforests are far and few between. Look at you guys, your guys' aisle. You know, look at, we know already, don't know your history so you're not destined to repeat its failures. Mayan civilization deforested their whole area of Mexico, Easter Island, you know, British Isles. Look at you guys, you know, you guys, all your creatures are gone now. So even your, even your salmon, you know, your Atlantic salmon suffered because you guys removed the cooling device for river systems in the British Isles. You removed the fallen trees that produce riffles and back eddies and sheltered places for the juvenile salmon. You remove the timber coverage over your rivers and the temperatures that the rivers went up, which is happening here in British Columbia, Alaska, Oregon, Washington, and everyone's scratching their heads going, how come there's no salmon? Well, the compounding factors, there's too many dang humans out here. And that's why I want to see conclusive proof of the Sasquatch and the little people, if possible. I don't want to get too heavy into that at this point. But once we do, and we get that Diane Fossey-Jane Goodall moment happening, well, you're going to see the person who does that and the creatures on the cover of National Geographic and every other magazine out there, every news source, BBC World will have definitely be open, tripping over themselves to come see us Indians that are finally sharing this creature we've known, we've always shared our tribal lands with another human. And now the protective measures go in place, the stopping of raping the world with trees and strip mining and oil sands extraction of entire forest systems and diverting of river systems and the drying up of river systems through irrigation. Maybe humans then will finally start to use their frontal lobe and go, the smartest human of all has now come out of the forest and said, hey, are you guys stupid or just idiots? You're destroying our planet. Look at us. We are the smarter than you. We have hair on our bodies. So we don't need clothes and be vanity and egomaniacs and flat broke with credit cards maxed out because you're Puma and Ikea and different furnitures and things because we don't do that. We have hair on our body so we can live day and night all four seasons. We have night vision, nocturnal. So we don't need your electricity and the damming of river systems for light. We eat our foods naturally, raw. We don't even use fire. And you, as our fellow humans, it's is, it is crazy when you put it like that. Because there is you what, go. This is, we used to do this, you know yeah. what I mean. But now we've been so programmed to open. Yeah, a fucking, people call us yeah, civilized. Open a tin of food, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh no, you're civilized yeah. now, or yeah. you know, the same yeah. way. Yeah. Is that is that beachfoot uh, talk then? Because obviously you're going to get more in, more detail into this. So is that beachfoot being recorded? Do you know? Yes, I have. What uh, uh, are my Associates is going to be there. Actually, I just got the text this morning that he can be there. He's just clearing channels with Todd. And yeah, no, you guys, you're actually you guys are your podcast. You're my practice. You and your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, how much so time we got left? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, another fifteen minutes if you yeah, want. Absolutely. Okay, let's give your listeners a treat. And don't forget, listeners, you're going to share this podcast with your feather, fellow enthusiasts so that they get more people watching their podcast. That's what it's all about. Remember what I've been teaching you, humans, communication, 
supporting one another from different tribes. So one of the things I'm thinking about with my native stories and legends is the creator we know created the planet and put everything in it we know of except for humans. But then I thought about it. Wait a second. He put Sasquatch, Bigfoot on the planet. And every all the animals were to live in the animal kingdom in harmony and balance, harvesting one another so you didn't have overpopulation, extinctions, warfare, envy, ego, greed, the whole nine yards. But thousands of years later, Creator came back and looked at the planet and realized that the formula didn't work without humans because there was areas of too many thunderbirds, eternal winters because of the clouds, wind, rain, snow, too much lightning. Animals were scared, stayed underwater so they didn't get afraid of lightning. And all the storms with eternal winters meant no seasons, no spring, summer, fall, no returning of herring, salmon, fruits and berries, grasses and bulbs and tubers. So the whole animal kingdom is out of balance. There is extinctions, endangered species, warfare, you name it. So he went to the north end of the world, the creator, and met with his brother, the transformer, and said, I'm out of magic. Fly across the world and transform animals into human beings. Those humans, us, no hair, except for the, you know, facial hair and body hair. And the humans are going to marry and they're going to, this is the Kwaklaakulak story, and they're going to have children, Kinganata, and they will harvest animals for food, social, ceremonial purposes. And after thousands of years and generations, the animal kingdom will come on balance with humans and animals, natural and supernatural. And that's the human's role. So that's what took place. But when I look at it in the last couple of weeks here and thought about it, I thought, you know what? The Sasquatch, Chunachwa, male and female, they were spoiled because when they were created, there was no humans to compete with. So they went down at the beach at low tide and they found out that the cockle was their favorite food. And that's what they ate all the time. But the tides that expose the cockles here are generally at night when the bigger tides happen during the um, spring, summer, and early, f- and uh, not summer, but uh, all the months without R. So your September through until April, prime clam time, shellfish time, because there's less daylight, which means less plankton, which means no green inside the shellfish. Cockles, this time of the year in the summer, oh my God, you can't eat them. It's just filled with that zooplankton and photoplankton, green plankton, basically. And what happens is there could also be goniolics in there, a one-celled creature with a flagellin, which all we all know is red tide. So May through August, don't eat them. So Sasquatch knows this, and he's eating them only during the months with R, so to speak, those seasons. But it's his favorite food. That's why you see so many Kwakwakwak pictures and dances with the cockle incorporated. Well, all of a sudden, as he's doing this, he evolves and he gets nocturnal vision. He can see at night when the night tides are. And he realizes that after winter is starting to end, the herring come to spawn. Go down to the beach and just pick them up like one by one and eat them. You can fill a five-gallon bucket in 10 minutes out here on the coast in March and early part of April and herring spawn at certain areas. And then at the end of March into April, the Ooligan swims at the head of our glacier inlets where glacier-fed streams are and turn the river black like a little smelt. And Sasquatch is up there eating those. And then all of a sudden, the, seats, the May sun comes and it's seaweed time. 
and the really big daylight tides. So now they can go out and pick the abalone and the rock scallops at the lower reaches and the big horse clam, um, gooey duck clam, which is, you know, five pounds of meat in one shell. And now the June comes and the salmonberry shoot comes out and they eat those as they walk up the mountain following the receding snows and the animals like the ground squirrels and marmots that are hibernating. They dig out of the boulder piles and eat them in their nests. And then the fawn drops start in June. And now we're in July. And right now, British Columbia, my province, is under a state of emergency with all of the interior fires down in the lower levels. Sasquatches are up in those alpines eating berries and flowers and grasses and tubers and squirrels and fawn drops of all the different ungulates, mountain goat, mountain sheep, elk, deer. They're eating their fawns, and they're sitting there chawing away, chewing on a fawn, and they're looking down below at all the dumb other part of the human tribe, trying to put out these forest fires, houses burning. I feel for the people, but, you know, you got to look at who's got the more frontal developed lobe. Well, I think it's Sasquatches. His homes aren't burning. He's up there watching it all right now. And then comes first part of August, and this section of, North America's coast, southern Vancouver Island coastal region, the salmon are going to hit the rivers and streams and go up to the far reaches. The Sasquatches will come off the mountains and eat salmon. And then they'll gorge on salmon until all of a sudden October comes. Now it's time for the shellfish. Go into the abandoned native villages and homesteaders and gorge on fruit trees that have gone wild Go to the farmer's fields and eat the corn before it's harvested, the soybean, the other things. And then at nighttime, when the tide's low, go eat your cockles. So that's one of the things I've come to understand in the last couple of weeks when I've been factoring and reasoning everything scientifically, patterns of research on these creatures, and then equating it all to my Kwakwaki Walk and other native legends and stories that are often termed as myth- mythical. And I've put it all together and I thought, son of a bitch, Sasquatch is the smartest human. They're living up right now with the forest fires raging in the alpines that don't get hit. Why? When the smoke comes towards them, they just walk down that mountain up another one in that alpine and the smoke doesn't even touch them. And everything I just factored in, it puts a whole different perspective on the other tribe of humans on this planet. We are the dumb ones. Sasquatch is the smart one. So it's up to us now to reach out to Sasquatch like Diane Fossey and Jane Goodall did to primates, which don't have a well-developed frontal lobe. But we have to reach out to Sasquatch and say, help us. Otherwise, all yeah. of creatures on this planet are going to die from our stupidity. Yeah. There you go. Tom. Yeah, Tom, do you think the uh, creator's going to push the reset, reset button? Do you Shit. Shit, no. No? All about us. But, you know, we can, like I say, you know, my generation, our generation, we're done. Let's keep <laughs> yeah, well. tearing it apart. It's up to our children's and the ch- their children's generation yeah. to look at and listen to what happened in the later parts of 2017 through 2021, when in that four-year period, humans finally got smart and went to the Sasquatch and said, okay, this is why we got to start 
really forcing the eight ball here, so to speak. And you think Snooker this, ball. You think and, the uh, yeah. you think the Sasquatch is going to is going to answer these questions? Do you? It's a bit dangerous that one. So yeah, government, so. what the way they are, and the you know. No, they're not going to answer it for us. It's the us finding the conclusive proof of their existence, where our World Wildlife Funds, our PETA, our Greenpeace, our Green Parties, our First Nations Indigenous people, our lefty liberal of society are finally going to tell the far right-wingers, which are the one percenters, that, hey, look, um, if you think Marie Antoinette and her husband had a problem on their hands with the revolution, you wait to see what's coming if you don't start shutting down these damn coal-burning power stations and start putting solar panels out. You you better start doing something with the big, huge car companies and corporations that are shoving down our throats that we need to run fossil-burning vehicles when we can have hydrogen cars and electric cars. And that dude that's running that company called Tesla, you're going to start restraining some of the things you're trying to hold them back on. So it's a good time for a lot of us to go look into the archives of what used to be videotapes back in the day, look into our video, into our collections of old movies from the 1980s and look for one called Tucker. And it's about the gentleman in the United States after the second world war who built, tried to build the Tucker automobile and how right from the president on down to the three big vehicle manufacturing companies crushed him. That's what Tesla is up to right now. So, yes, we can make a difference as long as we start doing like me and the other natives are doing with Sasquatch Island television show and Facebook group and the social media now. Me and the other Indians on North America are starting to communicate. I even have Australians who aren't Aborigine but are just Australians communicating with me about the Yao. Yeah, and Yowie, yeah. I have Russians getting a hold of me about their two creatures Almas and Yeti. So we have to start communicating because, yeah, you know, I could care less. I'm 52 years old. I've had two heart attacks. I've had diverticuli disease, and I'm probably going to have prostate cancer in the next eight years. It's in my family genetic pool. And more than likely, because I've lived such a bright, bright life, commercial fisherman, hunting guide, Sasquatch chaser, oh, I have burned so very brightly. And we know what happens to the ones that burn brightly. So taking what's on my table, I'm tits up and six feet under if not drowned and feeding sea lice and crabs in my lifestyle on the water or I'm feeding the worms six and a half feet under in a hole in a pine box so it's inevitable we all die sometime but in the few years or decades I have remaining I'm going to do everything I can to start getting us to think back to progressing to the animal side start going to the instinctual side the instinctual side is what do animals do when there's a forest fire they run like hell. What do animals do when there's no food source? They migrate. What do animals do when there's going to be a battle and they're going to rip each other apart, be it with antlers, hooves, teeth, or claws? They bluff charge one another posture, and then they walk, turn and walk away. They don't go to war unless they really, really have to. And that's what we need to do as one of the human tribes on this planet. We have to start progressing back to instinctual thinking, meaning using that frontal lobe. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's a cherry note to end on. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but now you've been uh, 
uh, you know, as knowledgeable as yeah. ever. So Amazing. Yeah, uh, Amazing. Hopefully that and a lot of that will sink in with people. Hopefully, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe we are on the precipice of really finding out what's going on. I hope so. Well, well something's got to go bang, hasn't yeah. it? Or something's got yeah. to give. But that, you can't that, carry on um, as it is now. That Beachfoot um, presentation that you do, it'd be, be interesting to, to see that. So if you can let us know yeah. where we can get hold of that, then I'll, I'll show it. Won't, it'll, be. it'll probably be segments from Beachfoot, but there'll be one episode of Sasquatch Island an hour long that's just going to be specifically to what we talked about today. Like Sasquatch Island started as to educate people, but it also was R&D, research and development for a book I want to write. Well, it's not I want to write. I am writing it because all I do is copy and paste from Sasquatch Island posts of the day and other groups I'm on, and I just add some pictures, and I got a book, and just, you know, add a little bit more to each chapter. You know, it's R&D. Some things I posted didn't go very well. Majority I posted, everyone's very intrigued and interested in. So, you know, and then the television show, it's all about, you know, getting more word out. And, you know, I'm not going to lie to anyone. You know, I've been Sasquatchology for a reason. You know, I with HamumuAdventures.com, we're doing tours. I got day trips in Seattle, Vancouver, and Victoria, the urban Sasquatch tours, right to multi-day adventures for $200 a day per person. I got someone come from England for September for nine days yeah, you know we're yeah. gonna go live like a sasquatch and he's gonna come out and be on your podcast and tell everyone yeah, what he yeah. did yeah tell How'd... him to get in you tell him to get in touch i'd be interested to see oh i will yeah, like yeah. i say we're going out with a bag of food yeah. each you know with two kilos of protein but we're not going to touch it we're going to live out like a sasquatch he wants yeah. to go in the double kayak so we're going to double kayak through my territories and eat like yeah. sasquatch live like sasquatch live under a tarp because i don't believe in tents no, no. And you know it's going to be great. Probably sleep mm-hmm. in caves as well. Yeah, that would be, be cool. Wow. <laughs> it does sound good, doesn't it? Yeah. But uh, yeah, you've got two. You've got two more coming out now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to remortgage my house. I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, you know, you got enough today. What I gave you that you should be getting a hold of BBC, London Herald, and others. Let them watch what I just divulged to you guys. I just made we just made history today. What I just let out. Mm, about yeah. Central oh, North America yeah. and get yeah. the word out. Get it so it goes viral and all of a sudden BBC says, okay, we're sending you to the British Columbia here in, uh, what do you call it, August and you guys go record this. I want this for a story or whatever. Like I say, it's business. That's what we're doing, what we're doing. And, you know, we got to have ethics and integrity. You know, number one, I'm in it for saving the world. Number two, I'm in it for putting my kids to university college, which starts a year this September. And here in Canada, it's going to cost me about 20000 a year. So, And I got sued by two kayak companies back in 2007. I lost my empire almost three-quarters of a million dollars. I went from that level with $130,000 credit rating on my two credit cards to a flat broke, no credit rating, bankrupt Indian overnight because of colonial-based Supreme Courts in Victoria, British Columbia, and two greedy people. So I'm rebuilding just enough to pay my kids to go to university college and to live daily like a normal human yep. in the concrete mm-hmm. world. So, you know. And, uh, good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, uh, well, thank you very much for coming on again, and I'm sure we'll be in touch. Uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure, Tom. Yeah, you guys, don't break the oath, you guys. You guys have fun in my language. Halakulesla. Go in peace. Yeah, oh, I'll send nice. you yeah. some. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll be in touch. So. Yeah. But um, exactly. thank you very much. Cheers, Tom. Okay. Cheers. Okay, so that was Tom then. Remember to go over to his Sasquatch Island Facebook page, 
Yep. And uh, enjoying that, and obviously let him know you heard him on the show. Uh, Patreon this week. The episode's going up shortly. Should be Freddie Silver this week. Another fantastic show that yeah, was. Yeah, great guy. And Brilliant. he's going to talk to us about crop circles, crop circles. and the Lost Art of Resurrection, yeah. which is a ceremony. That, uh, a you ritual, know, isn't it? A ritual yeah, of ancient, like ascension kind of. Yeah, ancient you know, cultures yeah. used to do, and it's really interesting. Oh, it's so fantastic. Mind-blowing. It's going up on Patreon. If uh, if you're already a member, then you know, fantastic. You're getting a good show there. And if you're not already a member, then, you know, something that you know, hopefully you can look into in the future. But... Um, Thank you very much for listening. Thank and, you. Uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Cheers.